Presentation of the Hockey Shop Source for Sports Surrey, thehockeyshop.com. This is Ingle Radio, the podcast. It's a very disappointed Darren Millard with the co-founders of Ingle Magazine, David Hutchison and Kevin Woodley. I did not win the Sense Arena VR competition. I just missed out on the top three by about 42 places, which is, uh, it's sad. And uh, and I tried again the last ditch and, and didn't come through, but uh, we'll get into that in just a little bit. Also, I have a double header of interviews uh, with the goalie coach and the goalie, uh, and they are working together this year. With the Stockton Heat, Thomas Spear is the development coach, uh, Stockton Heat, the Calgary Flames, and Dustin Wolf uh, is the goaltender, and he is having a spectacular rookie season. Uh, so you'll hear from the teacher and the student uh, coming up in our Sense Arena VR interview, and the gear segment returns with the stick curve segment with Cam and Woodley, guys, as we uh, take a bit of a pause and enjoy All-Star Weekend. Uh, you, guys, you guys ever been to an NHL All-Star Weekend? I've never had the pleasure, Darren. No, it's we were hoping to come this year, but the invitation never arrived. I don't know why. Uh border issues. Oh. Like all it's 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 sad. Like the, the all the Supply incoming chains. mail to the Yeah, it's it's it'll probably get there sometime in March and uh and I apologize for, for that. Uh no, this is uh the first time that Vegas has hosted uh, NHL All Star Weekend. And there's a bit of a juxtaposition with what's going on. Uh, in Canada, in the likes of uh, Toronto and Winnipeg and, and Ottawa, Montreal, where there's little or no fans uh, at the rinks. And then we're we're having a, a fanfare yesterday and that continues all weekend and the all-star festivities. And it's it's more important that I would say it's more important this year because being able to catch up and see people that you haven't seen for a couple of years, but also uh, seeing the alumni and hearing the stories and, and getting back to normal and, and having that that regular interaction and then of course the the actual skills competition and, and the all-star weekend but there's um there's so more much more to it uh, than just the the events on the ice because of uh, the players being able to hang out and the alumni that are in town it's you guys would you guys would love it Cujo did a panel yesterday um there's there's all kinds of stuff happening it's it's really cool uh, I Hutch you you'd be a kid in a candy store I would be I would be would love it I'm just carrying the zoom around with you so that we can get all these podcast <laughs> interviews with guys while you're while you're there Darren. <laughs> yes exactly and and it's easy you 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 just kind of hang out in there's a, a soft spot in the uh, fanfare area where everybody just seems to kind of funnel through and that's where I, I just happened to be yesterday and there was you were shaking hands and giving out hugs it was it was great to be normal again Woody yeah, no, I'm kind of like just silently sitting here jealous, but hopefully we're back to there soon up here. Meanwhile, meanwhile, up here in Canada, we're not even allowed to have fans in the building in certain locations. So we'll get there soon. We'll get there soon. And I look forward to one day being in an all-star game with uh, all three of us and getting to do this together. Um, we'll, well, we'll next year's we'll next year's there. is in Florida. So that wouldn't be a bad place to go hang out. Right, maybe a hundred percent. A little time with our good friends Robbie Tallis and Roberto mm -hmm. Luongo. Uh, yeah, I think we might have to uh, might have to see if we can get one of those invitations that don't get lost in the mail from the guys down in Florida. Three man wolf pack walking down South Beach, Woodley, Hutch, and Millard. That would be uh, that would be a picture. Hey, uh, part of All Star Weekend and uh, is going to be the the arrival and the uh, unveiling of UC Saros to a lot of people. We 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 know UC. Uh, we're we're familiar with them, 
but uh, but UC is uh, having this breakout season. I think to the masses is is that fair, uh, Woody? Yeah, I think so. And you know, we heard a lot about you know we heard from Pekka Rinne about UC and about what makes him so incredible and why Pekka you know in part why Pekka was ready to retire because he knew UC was ready for this, but. In his first season as the unquestioned number one, and I do think it was important that in the second half of last season, he kind of took over that role and got a taste of it. But in his first season as the unquestioned Nashville Predators, number one starting goaltender, he leads the National Hockey League in games played, minutes played, shots faced. And more importantly, as we, you know, in the second half, start to turn this conversation from UC Soros, the all-star participant to UC Soros, legit Vesna trophy, maybe not even candidate, but leader. Um, he now leads the National Hockey League at the break in goals saved above expected, according to our friends at Clearsight Analytics. Um, quick primer. There's a deep primer. You can find it in goalmag.com. You don't even have to be a subscriber to read that one. But basically, we're measuring shot quality and workload. And when you weigh all that relative to environment, UC Saros right now grades out at t- on top. Now, part of that is the minutes played. On a per-shot basis, Igor Shishterkin has been better. But doing the job and playing a lot is part of it, right? Like, UC gets credit for playing all those many more games, and he's done it at such a high level that he's 100% in the conversation. Like, to me, right now, we've got a whole half a season to go. But right now, it's Saros. Shishterkin and Vasilevsky that are at the top of that uh, at the top of that Vesna Trophy race, and you know for all the conversations over the years about Saros and his size or lack thereof, and we're going to hear from Dustin Wolf, uh, you know the guy who's been sort of at times sort of tied to his size rather than his abilities as a goaltender. Um, I think UC's changing this conversation because we've seen goalies succeed smaller in the NHL, but excel at a Vesna Trophy level. That, you know, he's listed at 5'11", and that might be generous. Um, Saros is maybe making a lot of those teams that still won't let their scouts submit a scouting report on a kid under six foot two look a little silly. If the best goalie in the league ends up being 5'11", maybe it's time to change the conversation. Well, and hey, don't forget that the other guy you just talked about there, Igor Shesterkin, is, isn't he 6'1"? So they probably wouldn't be writing reports on him either. Yeah, and we had this conversation when Bennington won the cup because he checks in at 6-1 as well. Yeah. So, you know, in Toronto, his backyard would have been, at the time, I'm not sure what the policy is now, but I know for sure can confirm at the time the policy was nobody under 6-2. That is fascinating and so encouraging that uh, that we've got this, this little bit of movement uh, coming afoot uh, with goaltending. And uh, for just awareness, uh, UC Saros uh, being able to skate on the All-Star Ice to participate in the skills competition uh, participate in the games and uh, and just uh, raise his profile uh, up and around the National Hockey League. He might have a game that is perfectly suited to the All Star Game as well, right? Like Pekka talked mm. about it. The patience on the edges and like the skating is incredible. But when he gets to his spots and he gets there as fast as anyone, he holds edges so patiently. And as as Pekka said to us, you remember the term he used? It's fake resistance because of that patience. He's less susceptible to the increase in deception that we see around the National Hockey League. And the All-Star Game is obviously a wide-open affair, so it'll be interesting to see how he fares. But another note on UC Saros, guys. Did you know that you can get his stick, his CCM E-Flex 4, at least the stick he was using before, right now at the Hockey Shop and thehockeyshop.com? You can actually get UC Saros Pro Return Sticks from CCM as part of their inventory. 
There's a large list of names. As a matter of fact, as I go through them, there's a lot of all-stars available right now at the hockey shop. Jacob Markstrom with a couple different paddle lengths. He was obviously experimenting. There's a longer one and a shorter one available at the hockey shop and thehockeyshop.com. Um, I think they're out of Thatcher Demko, but we had another new one come in. Limited supply. There's only three of them, and it's a warrior one. Tristan Jari. I was playing around with this the other day. We talk about Jari being like the underrated, you know, him and Delkovich. We all think of Mike Smith and Carey Price, but him and Delkovich maybe being the next guys to get an empty net goal in the NHL. I can see why. The whip on Jari's stick is unlike anything I've ever experienced before. You just give it a little little push on the handle and the paddle just bows and it's ready to pop. So uh, they got three of those. They won't go, they won't last long on sale. Pro return CCM, we talked about it a couple of months ago. They had so many, like I want to say literally didn't have a number, but we showed you the picture in the back room, looked like three or 400 CCM pro return sticks. Still a bunch available. Remember, no warranty on the pro returns, but they're discounted down to 199. So actually cheaper than buying a new stick. The Saros pattern is beautiful. It's a 24-inch paddle. So if you're a guy that likes a little shorter paddle or if you're just, you know, like me, getting a little shorter and shrinking as you age, uh, a great option. Make sure you check them out. We've talked, and we're going to talk again about stick curves. We've talked about paddle length, all those discussions at the hockey shop. Uh, Beyond all the stock options, a lot of great options now in the pro return department um, at the hockey shop and thehockeyshop.com. How many guys do you think play with the uh, uh, size of the stick, uh, adjust the paddle length uh, through the course of uh, their career? If somebody plays five years in the NHL or plays 10-year pro, uh, do, do, you, do you think, or do most guys just stick with the same paddle length through the course of their career, Hutch? I've got nothing to go on there. I don't know if Woody's talked to a few of these guys, but... Uh... I can imagine like other gear that we've talked to guys about that there's probably two camps. You've probably got that group of guys that just say, keep giving me what I was getting. I'm comfortable in it. I'm happy in it. And you probably got a few guys who are excited that they're playing at a level where they can just ask for something and it arrives. And why wouldn't Mm. you play around with it? Um, I'd be excited. Hey, listen, um, Woody, Tristan Jari actually has scored a goal. I don't know if he was using the same whippy stick in 2018 when he scored in the American League. but. he does have his name on the goal scoring list. Yeah, and when we talked to him a couple of years ago at um, at Tendy Fest at the hockey shops, Tendy Fest, he had I think he'd had a couple other near misses yeah. in the American Hockey League. So that's why we've got him at the top of our list, as I said, to score a goal in the NHL. Um, I've only got about ch- fifteen messages, Darren, from Woody talking about this Jari stick. Like this isn't false bravado <laughs> for the show because he wants to promote Cam in the hockey shop. Like Hutch. H- what, what do you think about this stick? What do you think Maddie would think about I've this j- stick? I really think I I've want to get m- one of these sticks. I might even be able to get a shot over my own blue line if I had one. <laughs> I don't think that that might be wishful thinking, but my God, I've just, you know, and it's, I mean, you know, it's a, their pro factory is different than their retail factory. It's just, there's a level of whip and bow on this warrior stick that I just, I have the E-Flex 4 to me has been one of the sort of best sort of pops on that. And we'll have some, some news about their next line coming out this summer. We actually just, we just finished a call with their, the, um, you know, the, one of the leaders in their stick development department at CCM. They got some exciting stuff in terms of, you know, kick point options coming this year. I liked their E-Flex 4 warrior. I haven't seen this, this Jari pro return. Like I'm not saying 
you can go buy this. It's just this Jari stick. I've never mm. felt one like this. And that's why I, yeah, I am a little excited about it. They've only got three left. Make sure you go check them out at thehockeyshop.com because they're going to go fast. If they don't, I'm going to grab one myself. Any foam cores in there that, that, that whip? There are a few, <laughs> there are a few foam core holdovers um actually in the pro return department oh, really? there there are a couple like from years ago that they ended up in this batch i just keep i kept joking with cam like when's mark andre fleury gonna call and ask you for some of these pro return pro return phone cards oh yeah talk, you talk about guys that don't want to switch there's a guy that doesn't want to switch but to your point hutch i don't have the answer on guys how many guys experiment um it, it actually sounds like it might be a good story idea that i got to dig into as we get access to these guys coming through town in the nhl but I was fascinated to see in this pro return bunch a 23 and a half inch Jacob Markstrom paddle. Is that the shortest you've ever come across? LB. I've seen LB. Yeah, that we've we've seen ones that short and maybe a little bit shorter, but like for a goaltender who's six foot six and Jacob Markstrom, that's a pretty short paddle. And he was obviously playing with some things when he was using it. So um clearly. And the standard a guy is twenty-six, like like the the max is 27 in the NHL uh, for most guys, unless you're a certain height. Um, standard probably is around 26. A lot of guys going down to 25s now as well. Like I said, Saros yeah. at 5'11s and a 24. Wow. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of variation. 23 and a half. There. Yeah. So, but obviously, like, and then there are other ones that are 26 and a half for Jacob. So, like, there's there's a wide range there. You And they've got both of them, like, like I said, at thehockeyshop.com. But clearly, Jacob is a guy who was experimenting to have a paddle that short. Before we get over to you guys talking about curves uh, with Cam, if you go to the to the stick room at the hockey shop, so y- y- you want to play around a little bit with your, your paddle length and you want to uh, see how it feels. Could you take your, your skates and your pads, uh, put them on, and sort of see how that feels in the stick room? Not only th- could, but should. Should, yeah. I, that, like, what an advantage to be able to have uh, the exposure to a 23 and a half to a a 26 and see how that feels and, and be in the stick room. Yeah, if, if anybody I, I'm just throwing it out there to Cam. I don't, I don't want to tell Cam how to run his business, but. There's one caveat there. I mean, the tiles in the stick room floor, I mean, those things have a shelf life when you start putting sharpened skates yeah, on but then them you just, when we did our demo. Oh, the I'm, tiles? I'm not 100, I, yeah, I'm not 100% sure that they're letting sharpened skates in there to shoot sticks, but that's a, you know what that oh. is? Do you know what that is? That I was just thinking, question. sit in my stance and 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 see how it feels and and that I'd oh, not do a, paddle, a full workout. For a length. Yeah. yeah, no, Wouldn't no, but you know what that room. is? You know what that is, guys? That's a question for Cam, or yeah, as we used to call them, ask Cams. <laughs> and easy, yeah. we're gonna have the return of ask Cams in the very near future. We've had a bunch of questions. We've seen you guys have seen us trend towards trying to do bigger picture stuff as we wait for the next generation of gear to go over with cam we talked about the glove breaks 585 9600 and what are the that was awesome by the way other brands we did the thank you the paddle length this week we do the curves we've seen the questions come in at youtube we love for more of your questions to come in we're going to answer them in a segment here in the next couple of weeks where we'll sit down and go through them our listeners as always very educated smart people uh they recognized for example that we did the other brand equivalents to 590 and 600, but not to 580. That was an editing mistake, me sending the wrong material to Hutch and not making it clear. So 100% on Kevin. We did have that answer. We'll give Cam a chance to answer it. Some great people pointed out, we did paddle length standing in skates so I wouldn't be in sneakers. But when I dropped to my knees for the butterfly, 
I wasn't wearing pads, which would have changed the height of where I was. So our audience, as always, you guys are on top of it. Send us more questions about these reviews we're doing. We'll do a whole separate package, uh, answering them with Cam and going over. We'll get the video out and we'll show the difference between in pads and out of pads and how that affects your your paddle length. See if we can get some pros to answer as well. So yeah, no, um, this has been a real fun thing. I just wanted to make sure uh, people are on YouTube. You're asking questions on our YouTube channel. Make sure you check out the full videos there. And Hutch, where can they get you if they want to ask us questions directly? Um, I believe that address would be podcast at ingolmag.com. Podcast at ingolmag.com. I can't do it nearly as well as Hutch. Uh, off those twists and turns, uh, another curve for you. As we check out Cam and Woody talking sticks at the hockey shop, thehockeyshop.com, source for Sports Surrey. Welcome back to the Hockey Shop Source for Sports. We're in the stick room. I know most people, this is actually down in the goalie level. We do let forwards in here. Most people think of this as a forward. I let forwards in here. You just happen to come by and make a mess. They let forwards in here. But it's also good for goalies too, especially when you're trying to choose a stick. We talked about it last week. Paddle length, getting it set for your stance. When you're in your butterfly, this week we wanted to talk curve. Correct. There are a lot of different options, but really there's a couple of standard staples. Cam, I'm going to turn it over to you. The first one we're going to talk about is the Bauer P31. Now listen, folks, at the end of this, we're going to do what we did with the CCM gloves, the 580, 590, 600. We're going to take the staple sticks and curves after we've explained them. And we're going to run you through the equivalents and what they're called in all the brands. But first, let's start with the P31. And Cam, you tell me, why are we starting with the P31? So it has to be probably the most common curve out there right now and the most common used curve. Um, I have a P31 in my hands. So does Kevin. Um, this is what we would really go for is like your standard mid twist curve. What's really happening here, a lot of hook in the uh, curve itself. And we can see this obviously with some little bit of B-roll footage when you check it out. For those that are listening on the podcast, that P31, imagine you're picking it up off the wall. It's identical to your CCM Crawford. Um, open this in the toe, really good for those lower kind of hard passes per se. You're not looking necessarily clear it over top of the boards. I know some guys can with this curve, I myself included if I really need to. Um, a lot of control with it down low though is where I find it's, it works its best. So great for that good, hard 10 foot pass. You're putting it on that defenseman stick as they're going to clear that zone. Okay, so P31, like again, at the end of this video and at the end of the segment, we're gonna give you the equivalents for the other brands. You already mentioned it's the Crawford version, although they've got a new name for that in CCM. That'll all be at the end of the video. You talked about the curve and passing the puck. What about the lie and how it sits in terms of when you're in your butterfly, or when you're in this dance compared to maybe some other models. So as a visual aspect, I almost like to draw a center line from the goalie's body right down to the midpoint of the stick. Mid-curve, midpoint of the body. All your movements kind of are centered out of the control of that stick right from that basically center point of it. So I find anytime you're moving side to side, everything like that, your stick moves, rest of your body moves. You're staying, staying square in that aspect point. So I really find when they do say, you know, mid-curve, we're talking mid-body right down, straight down to the middle. 
In terms of the lie of the stick, now most of the uh, goal sticks nowadays are basically based off of 14 lie. Before in years past, we used to see a lot of conversations about different lies and how they sit. Now it's kind of become more of a standard. There are some options that are available custom. And if we want to talk custom, you can always give me a call. We'll talk about that part later. However, for the most part, almost all the sticks that we were talking about today all have a 14 line. And, 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 a, and a 14 line in terms of how it sits, what should you be looking for compared to, like, how, what is this, how does this curve sit compared to something else? So if we look now, we can switch this stick out for now. Let's switch it out for a price curve or a P1 in CCM's nomenclature. Heel base curve, straighter curve as well. You can notice that again, if you take a look at the B-roll footage. For those that are listening, check it out for sure. Much straighter blade. We're seeing this come back quite a bit. It went away a little bit, it's come back, went away a little bit, came back. Part of what we're seeing now for goaltending wise is that because it's a straighter curve, it sits flusher on the ice. So I'm covering more surface area within the goalie's bifold. Again, the argument of that, more surface area on the ice, a bit of a more of a resting point per se. As you're holding the stick, you can kind of feel the entire blade on the ice, which can give the goalies a lot of control and feel based off their stance and in their movement. For me, when I'm using this stick in terms of playing it, I find I got to play a little bit more of the puck off the toe of the stick. You can get a good loft with this stick, a bit more of that kind of like rainbow dump shot that we kind of thing, especially for clearing it with a defenseman coming in and trying to get it up onto the boards to ride the glass. I find this a little bit easier to do it with this style of a curve. Okay, so this is the price curve in CCM. That's correct. About, again, we'll give you the equivalents in all the other brands so that we can sort of build out a little chart for you at the end of this video so that you'll be able to go into your store or preferably Seacam at the hockey shop and sort of match what you like out of this video to various different brands. I did want to quickly grab those Bowers again though, Cam. One more question um, because I did notice some difference. They may both be P31 curves, but obviously two things I noticed. You've got the Hyperlite stick. I've got the 3S Pro. Hyperlite, we talked about it in the review. Shorter shaft for puck handling. It's a much shorter stick. But the other difference, the toe. The P31 on the 3S Pro here, square toe. You've got a rounded toe on the Hyperlite. What's the difference there? Correct. So this all came about, once again, is the ability to feel the ease of puck, getting it off of the boards, especially when you're trying to get you know, your stick in there and pull it off, especially if the boards, they usually have a little bit of a divot point there. The puck tends to kind of get stuck. Through feedback, the ladies have found that having that rounded toe allows you to kind of scoop it off the boards a little bit easier. Myself, and my own preference, I actually prefer the square toe more in this aspect because I can find I can wedge it straight against the boards and then there's no gap. However, this is goalie goalie dependent and there's obviously a reason the rounded toes come about and that's what the feedback was based off of. So in addition to being able to order rounded toes or square toes on some of the different customizers, and again, always talk to Cam at the hockey shop if you've got custom orders, we are seeing it as a stock option on the Hyperlite, and we just saw it on the price curve as well. You know, many of you may have noted that's a rounded toe. Interestingly enough, when we had Kerry, I think it was the last time we saw him up in Kelowna uh, for one of our day with price camps with Eli Wilson, he had switched back to a square toe. All right, so that's the different, those are the two basic curves. We got a couple of unique ones, or at least one unique one we wanna show you. That is the Jonathan Quick curve on the Warrior model. Tell us how this one matches up compared to the other two. Let's start with the curve itself. 
Very straight as well. So not as heel based. So you still get a bit of hook in the mid portion of the stick so itself. So straighter, but more of a like less curved, but mid curved as opposed to the price is straighter, but it starts at the heel. This is probably one of the straightest blades that we carry and exists out on the market today. In terms of overall feel wise and stuff like this, um, in my opinion, it's a bit of an older style of a curve. I actually would say in terms of shooting with curves, I struggle with this one the most. Still sits very flat on the ice in terms of a surface area coverage standpoint. So if again, that's what you're looking for, that's what the curve can provide for sure. Again, it, it really kind of depends a little bit on your preference and whatnot. I'd imagine if you're tossing backhands, the straighter curve's a little easier too. Correct, because you can grab it from that kind of mid portion, again, upper portion of that toe and be able to kind of flop it up. Um, older Shearwood fans, things like that, they should kind of gravitate to this curve as being still similar without having the huge banana hooks. You know, P31s that you know, I'm used to and I grew up with, so. So this is one that is unique to Warrior in the quick model. Are there other equivalents in other brands? Again, I know we're going to do the list at the end, but this is somewhat of a unique stick. Somewhat of the unique of the ones that we carry. Yes, correct. Okay. And as we mentioned, the V1 stock that he has a ton of right now, Jonathan Quick curves are the predominant curve there and they're all on sale 30% off. So Cam, now that we've talked about the different curves and again, folks stick around, especially on the video side, we'll give you a list of how those curves match up in every brand. We're gonna let the podcast side go and encourage them to come watch the video because Cam's gonna give us a demonstration of how this puck sort of comes off and what part of the stick you would actually be handling the, the puck with based on the curve. Some you want them more in the middle, some you're playing it more off the toe. That demonstration will be video only. So make sure if you're listening on the podcast right now, you check out the video at the bottom of the page at ingolmag.com or on all our social media channels. And of course, if you have questions, you can always call Cam at the hockey shop. 604-589-8299 or 1-800-567-7790. Because remember, as much as we're showing you the basic stock options, custom available, get your name on it, the works, minimums depend on the brand. Cam can answer all those questions for you in person. Make sure you check it out. Awesome stuff. So cool to think about where you're shooting the puck from on your stick, uh, because at times you're just goofing around and and you don't realize that there's maximum uh, possibilities with where that puck, whether it's off the toe or the middle of, of the stick. And just a reminder, everybody on, on YouTube, if you want to watch this and get a little bit more in depth, uh, it's it's available, Woody. It is. Uh, we just we limited it to the first segment where we sort of just went over a general overview. But if you go onto our YouTube page, we actually have footage of Cam sort of demonstrating the puck, you know, where it sits on the stick and where he likes to start those shots from, depending on the model. Now we should add the caveat that um, we did fire up some slow motion video for some of that. Uh, and despite telling us he's clearing it over or he can clear it over the glass, uh, there it may have turned into, based on the slow motion video, a bit of a, like there's a snack available. It's a bit of a muffin factory. So uh, we, we're not so sure the slow motion video flatters Cam's shooting on this particular day, but we're going to let you folks decide for yourself. At least I admit I can't handle the puck. Do Can those... Cam's slow motion shooting live up to what he said in the vid in the interview just now? Go to our YouTube channel and find out. What do you, what are the beer the... league rinks like over there in Vancouver? Do they have those little half height glasses? Is that how they do it? Or are they like he the might... old school when I when Darren and I started playing and they just didn't even have glass around where all the fans were? Yeah, you'd ping off a couple of parents if you rang it around the board. Just boards. trying to figure out how Cam did it. 
I just honestly, to be honest with you, looking at the slow motion video, I'm not even sure he gets it over the boards. Parents would feel safe in those old rinks if Cam is shooting the puck based on the, the slow motion video. Like, the wobble is like wings. It helps him helps it get up in the air. Yeah, I don't know. That saucy tossing is pretty lumpy. Uh, to, hey, pressure. He's doing it on camera. That that there's a there's an element of uh, of being in the spotlight there that that adds to the uh, moment. So I I can't I can't shoot. So uh, he's 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 got uh, full credit in my books maybe, uh, for maybe just over giving the it a next shot. Video we could have just a little shooting competition between the two of them. Like maybe Kevin mm. can get a little slow mo too. Uh, but uh, yeah, okay. I I told you guys I play shuffleboard. Maybe you know what. Maybe if I buy that jari stick before they sell out, I'll be able to get it off the ice. I, I haven't seen the video yet. Is he wearing new gloves? He's not he wearing, wearing gloves? gloves. He's not He's wearing not. gloves. Oh, we we're just yeah, trying to that, demonstrate. There you go. The, there, there, there. That makes all the difference in the world. With with, uh, with a, a, a glove, it'd be much easier. And he, yeah. and he did have like the Tim Stutzle bad level uh, tape job because he just was basically doing the stick room tape along the no bottom. No wax so. on the tape yeah, well, probably either. No, no wax either. Yeah, we're, we're going to cut Cam some slack, but, you know, yeah. I mean. We're you didn't. We're you, you, were like, you were like, like, <laughs> like whoa, 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 whoa. And then you went hard on him. Well, I got to chirp. Like, I got to chirp. <laughs> we're not having fun. As Dustin Wolf tells us yes. in the drill that we posted to ingoalmag.com, nice little fun stick handling drill, great tips on how to hold off a four checker and create a little deception to get a four checker to go the wrong way from Dustin Wolf and Thomas Spear. It's online right now at ingolmag.com. As Wolfie told us in that interview, if you're not having fun, what are you even doing? Go get a real job. But this is a lot of fun. Uh, let's chat uh, with Dustin Wolf and Thomas Spear. It's our feature interviews this week brought to you by Sense Arena, Sense Arena VR. And uh, Sense Arena VR uh, continues the rollout. Another competition in the books. Uh, did, did you guys even participate or were you guys so far down the list uh, as we look at the uh, the overall rankings on Sense Arena VR? The list does not go far enough down to find Well, I'm me. scrolling. I'm scrolling here, guys. Um, Sense Arena, who brings us all our feature interviews, of course, has their global skills competition on. And we're coming up to the very last segment. The actual competition will run from February 21st to the 28th, but there's practice sessions up there now so you can get familiar uh, with the drills you need to do. I thought, Darren, uh, you know, based on what you told us last week, I figured I'd just flip through the leaderboard here for goaltenders, and I've gone down to 60, and I don't see a Darren. I don't know if you're hiding behind a pen name or a celebrity name or something, but I can't find. I was, you there, top, I was top I forty find, at the time of my posting. What's that? I, to, I was top forty. I was top forty at the time of my posting. Yeah, a, mu- a bunch of people must have jumped on and and participated because at the very of the end. podcast. I'd like to congratulate yeah. everybody who got on there and helped us out by knocking Darren out of the leaderboard. <laughs> uh, as I flip through here, you know, Olympics have have started, and I see a Devin L on the leaderboard. There might be Canadian goalie Devin Levi. I'm not sure. Uh, well, that he definitely would be pre- uses it. We do know he uses it. That would be pretty cool. I, I just love this competition, guys. So I would encourage people to hop onto Sense Arena, give it a go, uh, challenge yourself against all the goaltenders around the world, even Darren Millard. And uh, if you happen to finish atop the leaderboard and then you get into their final round that will, you know, the, the finals as they bring all the winners together, you could win a trip to the Stanley Cup playoffs this year, which is just phenomenal. So not only would you have 
the best off-ice training tool that is available to goaltenders today, but you'd have a trip to the Stanley Cup playoffs, and maybe, maybe, if the game's in Las Vegas, you might even meet Darren Millard. We'll make that happen, for sure. If it's in Vegas, we're hooking up. Guaranteed. Can I just... Hutch, we got to get in on the contest now. It's the only way we get our invite. <laughs> there you go. Hey, here's a... As people listen to the various benefits of Sensorina and Sensorina VR, uh, I discovered one, and it, it works for all levels of goaltending because everybody's given up an early goal and you've had to, to fight through, or a couple of early goals, and you've had to fight through it and figure out a way to reset and, and battle. In that competition, if, if you're, because you can do it, you participate as much as you want, it's just your most recent score is, is posted. You got you to gotta find a way, if you give up a couple of early goals that you think, I should have had those, or I've, had that, I've been perfect in that skill session uh, before, and, and I allowed a couple of goals. You got to find a way to get through it. So it, it actually works on the mental side of your game as well in, in digging deep. And I, I didn't expect that benefit to it. Well, we've heard Brian DeCord talk a little bit too about how it can help you mentally come off a bad game when you mm. might not get ice time until your next game or you've got five days before practice, just help you sort of reset your confidence levels as well. Um, and interestingly enough, we we ended up incorporating it, not on purpose, but it was just so obvious we had to bring it up in our latest pro reads with Eric Comrie. Um, you talk about, a, and we talked last week about Comrie going seven weeks between starts and being mentally sharp. And when we went back to our webinar, we went back to a video review session he did with uh, Jack Eichel coming down on him from the Buffalo Sabres uh, last season and an open look, Comrie talked about sort of box control and making sure he was on angle and how that gave him the patience to read a Jack Eichel shot. And a lot of that stuff from the webinar we did about Sensorino with Eric, it all tied in like how you can check the confidence you have of being on angle and the confidence it gives you to know you're not giving anything away in the net and how he used Sensorino to sort of check those points as a training tool. Uh, it was fascinating to sort of do that pro read. So the pro reads is up at ingoalmag.com. There's a new one every week breaking down video with NHL goalies. Uh, but it was really interesting that one tied into the webinar as well in terms of how a tool like Sensorina can help a guy like Eric Comrie make saves against guys like Jack Eichel. Now we need to see more saves from Darren Millard against Jack Eichel in practice so we can credit Sensorina for that too. The uh, the part about Comrie and Eichel, uh, I thought it was uh, fascinating. The there's one thing missing from my approach to to Comrie's, and that's the the prayer addition. Uh, like I, I have a little little prayer when he kind of gets the puck, when he shoots the puck, uh, and and I'm it's like a continuous pray. I would yes, I would just close mm. my eyes and pray as well. <laughs> I think you're pretty safe. He's not going to hit you, Darren. Don't worry. <laughs> if he ever does, I, I chirp the heck out of him. But he he has yet to hear that. Uh, hear uh, nothing uh, from me. Uh, so let's get into our uh, feature interviews. Thomas Spear uh, and Dustin Wolf. Uh, let's set this up. It's uh, it's two parter. We want to come back after Wolf, and then we'll set up Spear. But uh, but first off, uh, Woody, just uh, just a little mention on what's going on with Dustin and the Stockton Heat. Well, I mean, he's tearing up the American Hockey League. First year pro, nine thirty two save percentage. For the longest time, he was undefeated in regulation. What's his record now? Eighteen two and three, or eighteen three and two? Like just an incredible first year. And I think a lot of people forget um, that. 
And that first year pro is a big jump from junior. We've had a lot of goalies once they get to the NHL tell us the jump from junior to AHL was bigger than AHL to NHL. So I think Wolfie's hoping that that holds up too when he gets his opportunity up. Uh, he had one game on the bench, happened to be in Seattle near where he played junior and Everett. That was pretty cool. Um, just just sort of catching up with a guy that we've come to really admire and like and have had on the podcast before uh, during his junior career. We had him on the podcast with Spencer Knight after they won the gold medal at the World Juniors a couple ago. Remember, we had them both together. And an interesting revelation from Dustin Wolf on something he picked up from Spencer in his stance, in his setup, and the way he sort of sets up his hands now that occurred last year that's now a big part of his run in the American Hockey League. So uh, not, the, not the longest interview. I think we're 16, 17 minutes. I think I promised their PR staff it would be 10, so... Typical Woody fashion. Uh, may not have had a one more actually, but the whole thing was one more because I extended the interview longer than it should have been. Um, but as usual, Wolfie was great. And you know, you almost feel guilty. He's six foot. The, the size conversation comes up and I bring it up and you feel bad about it. But it's, just, it's part of the narrative. And the reason we ask it, because as goalies, we don't think it should be as big a part of the narrative. Like I don't think, at least I don't think so. But I want to hear his perspective on it, right? Like, I want to hear what the, the goalie who's living through it thinks. And, you know, he's pretty accommodating with us. But I think it's a question that he gets a lot more than he would like. So I felt guilty adding to that list. I don't think you should feel bad. And, I mean, I can understand why you'd feel a little uncomfortable because he's probably tired of the question. But he's doing a service for goaltenders everywhere. I mean, how many young kids are frustrated because they've been overlooked for a team because of size? They might have all the talent in the world. but coaches general managers are looking for bigger goaltenders i mean i'm talking right from age five six seven all the way up there's kids who are chasing it and struggling because of their height and how they're perceived so the fact that dustin wolf can do this and can share his experiences with everybody is honestly doing a huge service for the whole goalie union well and, and you want we want to hear from them why it doesn't matter right like what it is they do to make sure that it isn't a factor. And in this case, in his first year pro, he's made some adjustment to his post play that is directly related to sort of net coverage and altering how much he does take away. You'll hear him talk about it um, in some of those sharp angle situations compared to how he used to play it. Because at the pro level, you know, the exposure, all it takes is in, you give them two inches, they're putting it in, they only need one, right? So um, great interview, uh, very accommodating, and always enjoy catching up with Dustin Wolf. Here's Dustin Wolf, uh, part one of our uh, two-parter this week uh, in the feature interview brought to you by Sensorina VR on InGoal Radio, the podcast. So it's been a while since we've had a chance <laughs> to catch up officially. Um, last time we talked, I guess formally, still playing junior. Second year pro now, real weird year first your pro yeah what's the jump been like what's uh looking back over the past year what's been the hardest challenge for you what do you think you've done well what have you had to adjust to the most yeah i think uh obviously the hockey side of it's pretty you know it's a big step in terms of you know guys are you know much older and you know have been in the league longer they know how it how it operates um you know obviously they're all really good players as well so um you know the skill level of of that is definitely a jump and but uh, I think I've been able to adjust, you know, fairly well to that. But I think just the toughest part is, you know, been the stuff away from the rink. I mean, living away from home is not necessarily the easiest thing to to do. It's easier said than done for sure. 
you know, I've pretty much been living on my own almost all, all year. So, um, you know, trying not to lose my mind when I've got nothing to do and, you know, try to keep myself occupied. But, um, you know, the season's been fun so far. So I'm just, just looking forward to, you know, keep, keep her going. What? Like, that's an understated part of turning pro. Like, when you're in junior, you've got a billet family. You know, it's almost like being at home. To have to make that jump where everything's on your own. Do people underestimate? I remember talking to Carter, actually, another, you know, silver tip grad about the challenge of all these things that you never had to worry about, like utility bills and food and nutrition. Tough to make that jump by yourself? 100%. Yeah, it's, you know, thankfully, I've had some resources to be able to you know, utilized for, for the nutrition side of it. And, um, you know, also just like the mental side of, you know, life and hockey and, um, you know, it's definitely, uh, a bigger part of it that most people don't see. And, um, you know, all people see is you go out there and stop pucks. So, you know, it's, it's all the extra stuff away from the rink that really just brings everything when you're playing to, to life. So, added element of isolation at times? Has it been tough? Like, I don't know what the rules have been. Like, they've probably been different for you at different stages last year to this year in terms of what you're able to do. We've heard it from other guys where, you know, they just don't have that social outlet. You can't even go hang with teammates sometimes. It literally is rank home and you're by yourself. Has that been a tough... It's probably been tough mentally for a lot of people in the pandemic. Has that been tough for you as part of that adjustment? It's like an extra layer almost. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, in junior, I was very much a guy that would, you know, go to the rink and come home and not really want to associate myself with anybody and and now i think after you know a couple of years of COVID, all i want to do is just be around people and talk to people and not be sitting by myself all day so it's it's definitely been tough at times where you, you don't have that access to you know other sources of entertainment and um you know just trying trying to find different ways to to make yourself useful in the world so um you know, obviously, it's still it's still a process. I'm still trying to figure out and and learn more about. But you know, all you can do is make the best of it. And you know, when you come to the rink, just do everything you can to uh, you know give your team a chance. What's been the biggest change for you starting your pro career at the end of a season last year to coming in? Like, did it help having the experience of last year coming into this season? And in what ways? Yeah, I think um, you know getting to know a large majority of the guys last year um you know to have that relationship with with the coaching staff and um so you know when you're when you're coming into this season you already know everybody you know uh you know how the team operates how, how you're expected to to handle yourself and um you know at the end of the day they're there to help to help us you know succeed and um you know it's good to have solid relationships with all of them and also all your teammates and you know i think that that's a big big piece of uh you know the puzzle what about the game itself? Um, what changed? Like you said, like everybody's like it. I've had other people say that the jump, and actually, this is pretty common for goalies. A lot of goalies will say the jump from AHL to NHL is not as hard as the jump from junior to the American League. Obviously, maybe can't speak yet to that opportunity, the second part of that, but this is a tough jump. And what, what are the toughest parts of it? Is it the pace of the shooters? Is it that everyone can shoot? Is it the pace of the game? How have you adjusted to those elements as a pro? Yeah, I think like all of those combined, you got guys that can can get the puck off their stick real quick. Uh, you always everybody's bigger and stronger than they are in junior. You no, know, there's it's much harder to find pucks through screens. 
you know, again, it's just goes back to guys being, being bigger and, you know, willing to, to be at the net front, um, you know, and juniors kind of hit or miss and every game is like a playoff game. Every, every game is, you know, super intense and super tight. And if you're not in your game, you're, you're not giving your team a chance. It's in junior, it's a little easier to, if you, if you don't have a good night, it's a little easier to get off with, you know, only, only giving up one or two, but. No, if you're not on, it's it's going to be a struggle. <laughs> you, you can't get away with the B game up here, can you? No, no, you have to be on your A game at, at all times. What about, you talked about screens. Um, what kind of tips, whether it's Thomas um, or Siggy, or like, have you changed strategies as you've had to deal with? Like that traffic is, at pro hockey level, is so intense, like you said, and it's a battle out there. Uh, any tips you can pass along how you're managing to find sight lines that might be a little different than how you were doing it in junior? Yeah, I mean, I think I still try to try to look over everybody as much as possible. Obviously, I'm not the tallest guy, so it's can be a little harder at times. But you know, looking over, looking around, you know, trying to find little cracks of of vision when you can. It's there's certainly been some times where you're just dropping and you feel hopeless, expecting it to go in the net, and sometimes it hits you, and sometimes it doesn't. But you know, I think our, our D have done a really good job of being able to box guys out as well. So. You know, just con- continue to battle. Battling is the biggest biggest part of it, I think. What uh, what else? That, what, are there elements of your game, obviously, that are holding up really well? I mean, having a great year, 932, as we talk right now this season. Is there anything that you were unsure of would hold water at this level that you thought you might have to change that's been a pleasant surprise? Or did you always just know that the foundation of your game could be applied as you move up? You feel that belief? Yeah, for sure. I think... You know, I think my foundation is, you know, my my strong point of my game. And, you know, obviously last year, the two games I found success in, it just kind of, you know, gave me that that sense of, okay, I, you know, it's it's manageable and, and good good enough for, for the level. And, um, you know, just trying to find the, the little details that, you know, it's... I remember my... In, uh, before the season started... In uh, in Edmonton, the one of the first rookie games, they uh, they scored a goal off off a bank off the boards that kind of came to a guy at the bottom of the circle and beat me short side over the shoulder. And um, you know, while it was a goal I'd rather not give up, it was uh, you know a learning experience that's kind of set me up for numerous amount of opportunities. You know and at the American League level, it's, you know, simple little just minor movements, little releases, little, you know, adjustments that, you know, kind of go unseen. But it's, I think it's been a pretty big, pretty big game changer in terms of shots from dead angles. Okay. Just in terms of how you're playing them or like, like can't be into post play early having to square up. Can you give me like, obviously all goalies and he's probably ignorant to me. I asked about your foundation feeling like I know it and maybe our audience does, but maybe expand on what you see as the core of that foundation. Yeah, I mean, just going back to, you know, that, that little detail. Um, there's a lot of controversy between the VH and the RVH nowadays in terms of shooters are so good nowadays, they find that little crack above your shoulder that's very minimal, but, it's, you know, it's there. Doesn't take much, and, right? And... Um, you know, just being able to get into your post and get into an overlap and back and forth, back and forth, and being able to move laterally across the crease when you are in a release and you're not getting caught on that post. So, I mean, that's been pretty, pretty big 
um, for myself in terms of, you know, I have to manage that with, with my size as well. So, you know, going back to the foundational side, I think just, you know, tracking pucks. I mean, it's, it's easy to say you're tracking pucks, but, you know, trying to, trying to read plays in terms of what's going to happen before they happen. And, you know, I remember last, last year, almost, yeah, last year now, uh, world juniors, you know, I found myself getting beat, you know, over the, over the pad and under the glove quite a bit. And, you know, I remember Spencer Knight coming over to me and like, he, he would never get beat there. And I'm just like, man, like, like, what are you doing? And I ended up like changing the way I hold my glove. It's kind of hard to say, but, um, like I almost pinned my elbows back in a way, but, um, you know, it's kind of been, been game changing in terms of, you know, getting beat, getting beat. There's kind of been, uh, it was a weakness. Now I'd say it's more of a strength and, um, you know, just little things like that. I mean, players are so good nowadays. You got to just find some way to stop the puck. <laughs> now, so have you, have you changed your setup then? Like, or did you, were you changed? Did you mean you were changing it at the time and now you've gone back to what you were doing before? Or like without too much detail, I'm just curious. Yeah, I, I changed it during the tournament, actually. Um, you know, I feel like you're not like changing the fundamental part of your stance in, a, in the middle of a world's biggest stage. For sure. But, <laughs> you know, everybody talks about projecting their hands and there's a time and a place for it. You know, but I feel like having that access to close up holes over your hip where guys are, you know, sh shooting more and more nowadays. And, uh, you know, also being able to, you know, cover up the, you know, the top corners as well. So I know for myself, like, it makes my life a little easier with less movement. And, um, you know, everybody's different, but, you know, that's just my, uh, personal preference okay so i gotta ask because i got video it's sort of like you're just out having fun with shooters at the end of the drill now there's a competitive element there yeah. but when you set up there with sort of hands out and high but i can see that the elbows are sort of i don't want to say locked but they're they're off the body like they're on the body kind of thing yeah. like is that what we're talking about exactly okay so if i show that example people will yeah it's less and less of you know elbows forward and projecting your hands and more of this the saying goes is let the mail come to you and be the mailbox. I like it. So I've never heard it before, so I need to know where that came from, but <laughs> I like the saying. Yeah, it actually came from uh Jenner, of course. Oh, okay. And uh so yeah, I mean that's that's a pretty good saying in terms of you know, I, there's been there's been moments in the year where you know, you, you just want to get the puck, you want you want it to to hit you and um you know, it can kind of bite you in the butt at some time, so you know, just being patient, let it let it come. Let it come to you is you know, easier said than done. Yeah, easier said than done sometimes, but you know it's crucial when when it's there. Okay, we'll wind this down. I wanted to ask you a couple because you brought up size. Was there ever a point, and, and it's going to be a conversation that I like? I don't even like having it, but it's a question. I'm sure you get a ton. Was there a point where you had to? You know, you said you had to make adjustments around the net and moving across and things like that, like. Is that something you're always going to have to work around, like make sure you're on top of, or is it more the stigma of it? And is there anybody you watch? Like, I talked to UC Saros last week, heading into the All-Star game, and I feel like his patience, and you just talked about patience, is like the example that everyone probably wants to look at for being able to play, not just play at that level, but play at an elite level in the NHL at that size. Big, long-winded, stupid question by me, but like, where, where do you like? Do you have to think about it? Just answering questions from dummies like me, or 
how does it play into your process on a daily basis? Yeah, I mean, first of all, obviously, uh, Sarah Sir has been a guy I've been watching for a numerous amount of years, and you know, it's awesome to see you know him having such tremendous success on that front. You know, it's been incredible to watch. You know, he's so, he's so patient on his skates and holds his edges, and you know, he just makes some saves that you're just like, how, how does he how does he make those? You know, to have success at that level, that's what you have to find find ways to do. Um, I know for myself, I don't know if there's necessarily been something I've had to change, just be aware of. And, um, you know, you can't, you don't have the ability to rely on the couple inches you have over your shoulders. Um, so I think, again, it comes down to patience and trying to read plays and, uh, you know, not dropping early. And, you know, it's, it's a whole combination of things in terms of like that overlap on the post. Like that was a big key element to me that I added in terms of, you know, not giving up short side high shots and you know i'm sure there's going to be something down the line that'll come up and we'll have to find ways to you know other ways around and finding ways to to stop the puck but at the end of the day i don't think it's ever been a limitation it's always just talking heads around you know right. people think it's the end of the world if you're not six foot four so it's it's fun to be able to you know show people that that's not what it's all about well and i think you say like like you said, you watch UC. Do you watch like do you watch him specifically to look for habits and, and things like that? Or just, you know, like there's other guys. Like I remember we talked with Jonathan Bernier, who's had a hell of a career at five foot eleven. I'm not sure he gets drafted now, right? Like yeah. he's not sure he gets drafted now. Like, is there a little bit of a union there amongst you guys where you're you're watching each other and feeding off each other a little bit? Like, yeah, hey guys, you don't have to be six four to play this game. Yeah, and I think another guy is uh Shesterk, and he's been tremendous out in New York. And you know, I think it's kind of easy for me to look at more shorter guys and you'll know, have some you know empathy and you know it's it's not not as easy as being six foot five or whatever but um you know it's just as rewarding to just uh you know go out there and stop pucks so uh you know i i don't think it matters what size you are as long as you get in front of that piece of rubber it's it's all that matters okay we've talked about size too much but i do want to ask you now about the overlap um, because Mark Andre Fleury added overlap this year, 500 NHL wins, and he just added it this year as something he's using more off the post for the same reasons. He wasn't comfortable with what he was giving up when he was in reverse. What to you? Now I got to go get footage of you using it in games. But what to you is the key, and what's been the biggest adjustment to an overlap? Is it the com- being comfortable that being outside the post on sharp angles, knowing you're more exposed back door? How do you find a comfort level with an overlap? Yeah, I think. Uh, I mean, the first part of it's being able to get in, get in and out of it uh, quickly with ease. You'll, you'll probably see at some point that you know it happens really quick. I'm in and out, in and out, and uh, like the guy might might not even be shooting the puck, but um, you know the puck will be on the wall, and I'll be back and forth two or three times. When you say back and forth, like from overlap into t- yeah. like skate inside and then out, mm-hmm. okay. And so uh, that comfort in that mo- that movement itself. Yeah, and I think. Again, you have to have the awareness of where guys are. If a guy is, you know, backdoor, it's you kind of have to be conservative at times. But at the same time, it's that's not necessarily your job. You have to be able to rely on trust. Yeah, yeah, rely on your D man to, to help you out. Um, you know, your 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 job is that first first save and uh, go from there. But um, it it happens a lot, and you know, not many people will notice it. 
Dustin, this has been really fun. I wish we had more time, but you got a game day tomorrow and I don't <laughs> want to keep you here forever, but it's been a real pleasure as always to catch up with you. Congratulations on an awesome season so far. Keep it up. We look forward to seeing you down the road at this level, at the next level, at all levels. Um, it's really good to see you. Yeah, no, thanks, Kevin. Appreciate it all. That was awesome. Uh, so cool. And we're going to we're going to look back in a, in a couple of years and say, how, how did the Team USA not run away with it? They won gold medal at the 2021 World Junior Hockey Championship. But uh, with that tandem, Dustin Wolf and Spencer Knight, like no brainer. It's it, it's wild that they had both of them and we're seeing great strides uh, in their initial pro uh, steps here. Woody. Yeah. And as much as we talk about, you know, guys like Saros and, and Wolf maybe sort of changing the narrative around size, like the way Wolf is progressing, he may also be part of this next generation that changes the narrative around path and that goalies take longer. And sure, some do, but not all need to, right? Like this is a guy who has a very good trust in his foundation. And, you know, you talked, you heard him talk about his hand position. We're going to bring you some evidence of that in pro drills to our subscribers at ingoldmag.com. We've got some drills with Wolfie that we're going to share um, coming up here in the next little while that will sort of demonstrate and sort of have him show you how he's changed his hand position, how it works for him. I almost want to just post, there was a couple of drills that I captured with Stockton uh, out at the AHL rink the other day that I almost want to just post as, for lack of a better term, and I don't know if I'm even allowed to use this term on the In Goal Radio podcast, so Hutch, forgive me, it is goalie porn. I have never seen, like, he did a two-on-one drill down low that had everyone, like all the other goalies watching, just banging the glass multiple times. Um, it, like, just might have been the best set of reps. Like, my mind exploded. It was just crazy. Like, wide open and tough drill. Like, scoring drill. And they were not scoring. Like, so no not. give up. No give up in them. Oh, wide open back doors. And they elevate into a side of the net. Like they don't put it back in the middle because they know that he's in net. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, he comes across in a butterfly slide with an active hand and blockers it into the corner. And you're just like, what did I just see? So he's really fun to watch. He's really exciting. We focus on this. We like his skating and his tracking. There is no delay in his butterfly recovery or his movements. Like on the ice, he is incredible. But there's also that compete. And we'll talk about it now with Thomas Spear a little bit too. Like this isn't just a goalie with all these skills. Like at the heart of it is a level of competitiveness and drive. Uh, maybe in part to shut up all the people that, you know, don't forget at the draft. Like there was a moment there in the draft where in here in Vancouver, him and his family were sitting there. Everybody made the trip up. Supporters from Everett didn't think he was going to get picked. And I knew people who thought he was the best goalie in the draft after, you know, not, you know, after Spencer Knight. And we're in the seventh round and he isn't getting picked. It might be a bit of a chip on the shoulder there. Whatever it is that drives him, man, that drive is impressive to watch in person. Well, uh, if that chip on his shoulder is his itch, he's going to scratch it and he's going to do it via a new save sequence called the Panda. Uh, you'll hear all about that uh, coming up next as we introduce you to Thomas Spear, the development goalie coach with the Stockton Heat and uh, works directly with Dustin Wolf. It's part two of our feature interview brought to you by Sensorina VR.
Really excited to welcome to the Ingoal Radio podcast, Thomas Spear, goalie development coach with the Calgary Flames, currently down with the Stockton Heat right now in the American Hockey League, or I should say up here in Vancouver or <laughs> Abbotsford. Uh, I love having the AHL back in the lower mainland because it means I get to catch up with guys like yourself in person after a lot of phone tag over the years. How are you? How are things? Uh, doing great. Yeah, excited to be here. What uh, I mean, there's so many. I want to talk about your career and the transition to coaching, how you got started. Um, but I think when we talk about the Stockton Heat right now and the Calgary Flames and goaltending prospects, the first name that comes to mind is Dustin Wolf. You've had a chance to work with, I guess, both gold medalists last year. You, you worked at the U.S. National uh, Development Team program, so with Spencer Knight. And now with Dustin Wolf, they were teammates when they won a World Junior last year. How proud a moment was that for you as a goalie coach, even though you weren't directly involved with the team anymore? Uh, yeah, super proud. I mean, the, both those kids have so much in common. They work really hard and you see, you know, what they've done with their work ethic, right? Uh, you know, they win gold medal. Um, you know, now they're both pushing to be uh, number ones in the NHL. Um, so very proud of them. What's it like working with Dustin? There's a lot of different ways. Like, you know, as much as it's funny, cause I just talked to him too. And I, you always, as a goalie guy, you never want to talk about size. But it feels like because of it, it always comes back to that with him. And yet, there's so much he does well. Everybody focuses just on his height. What's been the process like as he transitions to pro for you? Um, you know, just where do you see the strengths? What are you guys working on? What makes this kid special? It's funny because, he, yeah, that's all you hear about is height, height, height. But it's gotten to a point now, uh, not even necessarily with him and I, it's just in general where the height argument's kind of gone away. I mean, at the end of the day, I, I think if you can stop pucks and you have the abilities that uh, that Wolfie has, you're going to be fine. And I think he's proving that. And then you have sorrow. So I, I like don't quote me on it. I don't, I don't draft goalies, but I, I don't see the height restrictions. You know, getting stronger. I think they're going to slowly slip away here. And I think Wolfie's an example of why. Uh, and the reason why Wolfie can do it is, is his skating and tracking is, is it's ex- exceptional. When we, when we say, like, we, we talk about that when we just did with, we were talking about UC Saros, you watch that skating and that edge work and the patience that comes from that. Um, what do you see as the source of that for Wolfie that allows him to have a 932 in his first year, full year as a pro at the American Hockey League level? I, I mean, I've talked to a lot of guys over the years that say the toughest jump is junior to pro, not AHL to NHL like he seems to have made this yeah pretty smoothly what allows him to do that uh, do you know what I, I think yeah uh, you gotta you watch practice today I think you got a taste of what he is he he just competes for pucks um and he's also one of those kids where you know when he was 12 he knew he was gonna play in the NHL you know talk to his parents you know and um he's had great coaching James Jenner uh all these guys uh and skating was a big part of his childhood um so his edge work and all that stuff is so natural to him it, it, that's something that we don't spend too much time on um and but then you add the fact that he he's a great athlete off the ice right uh during covid him and i were playing basketball nonstop and in, in stockton um and you know he just he figured it out quick and and then he's competitive so he has all these different tools and you know so success really doesn't surprise me you know um you know people are you know nine three two you know goalie of the month oh, so it's well, kind of to be expected with them right now, and, 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 yet we, and then we all come back to the height thing. The one thing he did mention to me that he's had to make an adjustment with is post-play. 
uh, talking a little bit about overlap instead yeah. of you know being inside the post at times, and that's an adjustment. Are those the types of small adjustments that like it's funny because it'll get focused on because of his height. But as I said to him, like Mark Andre Fleury just added overlap. He's got 500 wins in the National Hockey League this year, and he just added it this season. Like, is it just that just part of the process for every goalie trying different things and finding what works for you? Absolutely, and. You can't you can't say that you know size isn't a factor. It's one of those things where, of course, he has to adjust a little bit because of his height. Um, but he's figured it out. And, you know, he has to play more aggressive off the rush. He can't be in the paint. You know, if he's seeing shot, uh, and if a guy's coming down the wall and attacking the net, can't be in the RBH because they'll find that at this level. So yes, we we have implemented a lot more overlap. Uh, we called it panda, post lock, whatever you want to call it. Where there's times where he's going to be in an overlap. And you know that awkward if I'm on my blocker side post and there's a lefty coming down around the goal line, it's kind of hard to transition from an overlap to RVH because they're like, well, what if they shoot it at that second, right? Because it's going to go off, yeah. So, so basically, you just go down a little bit early in a butterfly facing up ice a little bit just to seal that post. And if they go behind the net, you push over. Um, so just these little things like that, just to make sure that they can't take advantage of you know him not being six six. Sorry, did you call it the panda? <laughs> we call it, yeah, that's actually a Siggy term. He came up. Basically, it looked like a panda scratching his, his butt up against the tree. So, <laughs> so they called it the panda. We didn't know what else to call it. So then we post lock. It's 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 been a you know evolution. Panda post. I think um, that will, from a nomenclature standpoint, live <laughs> in uh, that will live forever. Now, We're gonna, I, now I need footage. Now yeah. I need, we need you to set up a drill while you guys are here, so I can see the panda in action. Done. Um, Two unique guys uh, in Spencer and Wolfie, but like two elite guys, different skill sets, different sizes, different toolboxes when you get them. Um, what are the common things? Like how do, you, how do you as a coach approach them differently? And yet what are the, the similarities that have allowed them to have the success at this age so soon? Well, I, I was lucky. Both goalies were, you know, Spencer came to the program ready to play. You know, it wasn't a question of teaching him things and, he, he was, he's one of those once in a generation type goalies that showed up. Um, and I was lucky enough to be there and same thing with Wolfie. Uh, it's one of those things where, um, they're, they're freak athletes that could be play any sport well, and they're both very competitive. Right. And then you add the fact again, like they compete, they work beyond, they work very hard and you know, so, so success finds them. Let's talk about your background. <laughs> I want to talk about coaching and the transition to coaching, all the different guys you've worked with. I know you started with Mike Valley, you got Siggy here. He has relationships there. Like it is, it becomes a small world, right? Yeah. Six degrees of somebody in goalie coaching you're going to bump into. But playing career, how'd you get started? What, how, what got you into goal? What led you from playing to coaching? And where does the passion originate from? Do you know what's funny? I, I, so I grew up in South Florida. Um, and I, my dad, he uh, grew up. Um, you know, he grew up in an orphanage and he happened to find goalie gear and he kept that uh, gear forever. And I happened to just go through some storage and I found leg pads. I had no idea what they were. I was seven at the time. So he bought me roller skates and then just kind of fast forward, I started playing hockey. Um, and then I'll never forget my parents, you know, when I was, I think, so I was going into the sixth grade and they asked me if I really want to play hockey. And I said, yeah, that's all I want to do. You know, go play in the NHL. So they let me apply to go to Shattuck St. Mary's. And my mom was like, he'll never get in. There's no way. Well, I ended up getting into Shattuck. Um, and I'll never forget it because she opened the letter, started bawling, crying. You know, I was pretty young at the time. And so I went to Shattuck for a few years. Um, and that's where I really had my first taste of, you know, what it takes to train, to work hard, you know, to, 
not be a pro at that age, but you know, you see it, you, you see all the, the, you know, Zach Parisi's, the, all those guys were there. Right. So, um, I got to learn quite a bit and then junior college and the rest is kind of history. Okay. So I'm trying to think, uh, like, like I'm doing math in my head here. That'd be like early mid two thousands Shattuck. Oh yeah. So like, um, I'm trying to think of where goaltending was at. Cause that's right when I started sort of writing about it. And that's sort yeah. of when, you know, things like proper leg recovery were being taught. You probably would have learned it. And yet at the NHL, not everybody was doing it. So really sort of a golden age of the evolution of the position. You're, you're totally right. That, that's when, if you kind of look at the history of goaltending, at that age is when goaltending really started to dominate the sport, right? It really, the first guys that could be technical and figure it out really dominated. Um, my uh, Jim Park was the first goalie guy that I ever, I, I went to his schools for years and, uh, you know, learned a lot from him, um, did a couple GDI camps as well. Um, but, uh, I'm trying to think what I was doing in my sixth grade year at Shattuck. And I, I think I was just at gym park at the time, but yeah, we were, he was teaching us outside of skate saves. Uh, he was teaching us, uh, you know, proper leg recovery and all that stuff. Okay. So right in that other influences early on from a playing side, um, who was kind of, you know, like that was your first goalie coach and that was, you said grade six. So as you move up, who were some of the influences um, you know, as you move up and you move up into college and into the different ranks, how did you evolve as a goaltender? And obviously I'm going to transition to this, like, you know, what you learned, how does yeah. it apply to what you teach now? Totally. Yeah. So I, I, I worked for Jim for years all the way up through when I was in college. And then when I was in college, um, Jim, Jim was old school, right? He it was, you know, you, if you want to learn something, you have to do it 10,000 times type thing, which is, you know, a little old school my, uh, mindset, but um, I learned a lot from him. Uh, and then when I got to college, I met Mike Valley, um, and uh, and you gotta remember back then in college or junior, we didn't have full time goalie coaches. It was just I saw Jim in the summer, and then I met Mike in the summer. We were both in Madison, Wisconsin, um, so uh, I met him, and then uh, he kind of was my mentor from you know my end of playing days into coaching. So, and so from a playing perspective, how's your game evolving at this point? Like, because again. We're right in that cusp of like, like if, if Thomas Spear, the Calgary Flames goalie development coach is asked to cut film on Thomas Spear, say, you know, end of the college career and into the ECHL. Yeah. What's he seeing? How's he breaking oh, that down? Man, it, well, <laughs> yeah, don't can't look at the elite prospects. Numbers aren't pretty right? good. You're looking at your, you'd be looking back. I can't believe this kid didn't make it. Oh, uh, do, do you know what's funny? I, I, the biggest thing that uh, for me that I missed out on was a post play. You know, we, I, 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 by the time I was done playing, the RVH wasn't around. So yeah, I look at it, you know, we kind of had a sloppy VH. You just were playing, you know, outside your net half the time. Uh, just rely on your athleticism to, you know, catch up with the puck. Uh, looking back, um, if I would have had, you know, some sort of insight on the RVH or something that would help me out, you know, well, your career and like your last year in the, yeah. in the ECHL was 11, 12 and yeah. Jonathan quick sort of brought the RVH to our attention in 2012. Yeah. So there you, you go. You just needed to wait one more. I year know what the heck you should come out with it earlier. Yeah. That, that's why I didn't make it actually. I think exactly. <laughs> now, I mean, transition now yeah. into coaching and it's such a big part of the game. I get this question a lot. Like, why do we focus so much? And I'm mostly from outside a goaltending community. Like, why is there so much attention to post play? Yeah. I think I know the answer. You tell me why, why is, why is it so important? You have to be able to find your post and then the game is so fast. East, West, North, South. You have to, 
Right. I don't want to get bogged down anybody with technical terms, but right. But if you want to have good box control, let's say you have to know where your net is. Right. And if you're playing outside your net, you can't have good tracking, box control. Everything kind of goes out the window. Um, so, you know, it, it's easy to pick apart RVH goals. And but uh, if you have good play, you know, it, it really helps you make a lot of saves. Right. We don't talk a lot about how many saves the RVH makes, let's say. You know, um, so we just, just pick apart the ones that go in. Of course. Yeah. And I don't blame you. Right. Or anybody in general. Right. You know, there's times where goalies should be on their feet. But if you just know, you know, how to implement those and how to work your posts, I think it's uh, detrimental to, you know, have playing at your best. So and the ability to get in and off because of so much is from dead angles. Right. It's not just about sealing it. It's about being able to get off to other spots at this point as well. Totally. And that's actually something I learned from uh, Barb's right. Barb's is very good at uh, teaching goalies how to find their posts and getting it, you know, not only just finding it, getting it, sealing it and being able to get out of it quick. Right. Uh, so he's, he's taught me a lot in that area too. Now I want to get into sort of all the influences with Calgary, obviously Jason LaBarbera, Jordan Sigalette. Yep. Um, getting to be at camp and working with the Jacob Markstroms of the world. But first, let's go back. Like, so the playing career is over. Yep. Um, how tough a decision was that? You only played, a, like, it looked like you only played sort of one year pro. Yeah, I was, I was basically the third, fourth goalie in the coast, right? Just trying to fill, fill spots, right? So did you know that coaching, like, was this something you'd been thinking of for a long time or had seen in your future? Did somebody help you along that path? Uh, for, well, I, yeah, I, I think I started working at Jim Park when I was, uh, gosh, I was in high school and I loved it. It was, you know, I had so much fun getting on the ice with the kids and, you know, anytime I could get on the ice just to help out the little guys, I would, you know, it was all about it. And it, I didn't know it at the time, but it turned into a big passion of mine. Right. And I, I think anybody that's still playing, you know, that's an easy ass is to get on the ice with the young guys and help. Right. And then transitioning into, you know, now, uh, you know, you have to, help these goalies perform better because, you know, their jobs are on the line. And, uh, you know, when I was with Mike in Dallas and with the Allen Americans, I coached there for quite a few years. It uh, kind of, yeah, it took off. What, um, what'd you love about it? Like what, whether it's kids or now at this level with guys who are trying to reach the next level, like what, what do you love most about it? Uh, the, the day-to-day interactions, right. And, and just understanding how, you know, goalie coaches, how blessed we are to get on the ice and, you know, today it was our first day in Abbotsford, first time on the ice at this rink. And I'm like, oh, this is the office today. I've never been here before. You know, another chapter in the book. Uh, it, it's really cool. Uh, and I think that is what uh, makes this job special, I, I think. Who, who are some of the influences that you still find yourself? Like who's, you talked about Jim Park, you talked about Mike Valley. You mentioned being at a GDI camp. Like, do you see some of the guys that influenced you still? Like, you're out there working now in the American Hockey League. Do any of those influences still come out? Uh, sometimes, yeah. Like, there's, there's things, that, you know, I, I get in arguments with other goalie coaches about using your stick for rebound control. I mean, there's some, like, my best buddy in, in Utica right now, one of my best buddies, you know, he doesn't like to, or I don't know if he does anymore, but he doesn't uh, like to use a stick as much. And Jim Park installed in me, you, you never, ever ever use your pads to, to control rebounds. It's always your stick. So that, that's something for no matter who tells me that you should not use your stick, it's hard for me to let that one go. You know what I mean? Just then that's another example or just one of the examples. Um, what, uh, as you transition, like what was Alan like? Cause this is, I always say goalie coaching sometimes like I, like I wish the, they'd sort of bump up the pay scales at all <laughs> levels. Yeah. Um, from, from, you know, right down to the bottom. And I know when you're starting at that level, um, it can be tough way to make a living. How was that transition into sort of minor pro hockey and, and how are you finding that balance? And at what point did you, were you thinking 
there's a career here as opposed to just something you love to do and for sure. Well, actually, funny story. So, so Mike asked me to move down to Dallas and just help him run his goalie school, elite goalies. And, and I did reluctantly. I was going back to school actually after I was done coaching or sorry, yeah, playing. And I was in school in uh, Whitewater, Wisconsin, just pursuing working at Target. And um, Mike called me. I moved down there and I, I'm just helping out kids again. Right. I'm back on the ice. It's fun. You know, a little painful when you quit playing, but, you know, life goes on and I was on the ice working with a few little kids and Steve Martinson at the time, who's the head coach for the Allen Americans, pretty, if you look him up, intimidating guy, right? Really tough. And, and I asked him, I was like, Hey, uh, you know, would you be okay if I ever tried to get on the ice with your goalies? And he looked at me as just like, you know, some young kid that was working with a six year old in Dallas, Texas. Like, why would I ever let you on the ice? Basically I just hounded him for a month and he was like, fine, show up tomorrow. And I showed up the next day and it was, uh, um, I can't remember. It wasn't right at the beginning of the season. It was probably a month into the season. We had a great week of practice. I was gelling with the goalies. Um, and my first official game with them, we lost like 8-1. And uh, so it, it was a rough start. But Marty and I got along and gave me another chance. And just kind of, we ended up winning three or four championships in five years. So it was, uh, it was quite the run. And, and I guess... When I knew uh, I could make, and of course, volunteer position, right? You don't get paid there. So that, you know, I was doing lessons with kids. That's how I paid the bills. Um, but then I got uh, an interview with the uh, NTDP and, and uh, the rest is history. So I was lucky enough to get that job. I a lesson there in perseverance. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you know what? A lot of people, yeah, the pay scale for a lot of goalie coaches, when you're giving so much time, it, it's rough. It, it's not a uh, glorious job. There is an element of, you know, uh, if you can survive that, you can survive anything. And it definitely gives you some resilience. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, it was good. So I guess the advice for other guys going through that same challenge is just get that experience. However yeah. you can, like that's the tough part, right? Like, like, you know, I see it even like right up to the, the CHL, the Canadian hockey league, which, you know, there's a lot of revenue around the CHL, but a lot of goalie coaches that aren't making much, whether it's fair or not, it's the reality. You just got to find a way through it and get as much experience as you can. Yeah, that that's that's the one. That's how you look at it when you're, uh, you know, have you have so many volunteers. I think, uh, hey, the the hard part about it is because if someone holds out for more money, basically they know they can find twenty other guys that'll do the job, right? And that's and there's nothing wrong with that. It's supply and demand, I guess. But um, yeah, it's a tricky one, right? I uh, I don't know how because there's a lot of goalie coaches that deserve to get paid. Yeah. you know that they they've worked there forever and they're they're flying themselves into town to work with the goalies, right? Okay. Okay, national team development program, that transition. Um, what was that experience like? What do you remember the most about that? Yeah. Uh, and just the, the ability to influence, you know, a couple of guys and, and, and a group that, you know, at that point, that path is a little clearer than maybe it is for guys playing for Allen. Like what, what changes <laughs> in your mindset? Like not like, and that not to be disparaging in any way, but, you know, like they're sort of up and coming versus guys at the ECHL. Um, I still see that as a development league, sure. but not everybody has that. The path isn't quite as clear. Yeah, definitely. ECHL is more uh, older guys, more of an entertainment league, right? And then you go to the NTDP and it's, you know, these are, you're trying to develop future NHLers, right? Uh, uh, quick answer as a whirlwind. It was, uh, that's where I learned how, and I, I saw firsthand from Seth Apper, John Robleski, uh, all these guys, what it took to be a coach, right? And, um, you know, Phil Sarah, who's a big part of my uh, career there at the NTDP. I'm sure you know Phil. Yeah. Um, I, I was lucky because I was surrounded by good guys that helped 
me learn, but that that was eye opening, right? Um, Marty, can you, can you give us some examples? Like just like when you say what it learn, what it takes to be a coach. What kind of things did you need to learn that you maybe help somebody else here now and and know what the difference is? So when they get to that, they've already got that concept. Do you know what that for sure? So it, when you're going from being a private goalie coach, volunteering, you know how does it work? You, I have little Jimmy. I'm teaching him how to stand up and butterfly. Then you. Your volunteer job, you're working with the goalies. Hey, you're on the ice for half an hour with the goalies every day. Great. Get to the NTP, and all of a sudden it's like, hey, not only are you working with the goalies, you need to know these systems. How, like, what from a goalie's perspective, how are we going to implement these systems? And now all of a sudden, I'm talking X's and O's, right? And, and I didn't really do that before. That so that was a big adjustment. Talking about ozone play in kind of a weird way in this job here, I, I do a lot more. Um, Obviously, I do video with the goalies, but I'm doing a lot of OZP or uh, ozone time stuff. And how do you score, right? Systems work. And I learned that from from those guys, Seth Albert and John and, and all those guys, because they were very dialed into that stuff. And, you know, I, in my first year, again, spoiled little Spencer Knight, but that old one class, we had nine first rounders or eight first rounders, whatever it was. So, you know, it, systems were important to, for those guys to score at the most efficient ways, right? Do you, how much of that conversation without giving away too much? Um... Like, are we at the point where, for the most part, teams have their systems in the defensive zone and the goalie adjusts to it? And it's your job to sort of make sure everybody's wearing on the same page? Or yeah, can there yeah. be conversations where, like, how, hey, listen, our goalie is strong here. Maybe we need to tinker with how we handle our defensive zone to play to his strengths. I, I think uh, that's a good question. I, I think most, uh, most teams are going to have their D zone structure and the goalies have to fit in it. There's going to be times where, you know, if, you know, maybe small details within the structure, a goalie could have a conversation with. But I think for the most part, the goalies have to figure out how to play in that system. You might have outliers, right? If a team's really struggling or, you know, maybe, you know, maybe in a COVID era where you have, you know, two guys that are called up, they're really young. They've never played an NHL game before. And it's like, you know what? Maybe we'll tweak our T-zone to help them out a little bit. Right. Um, but in, in general, uh, the goalies have to fit in that system, right? And make it work. How to score. Like this yes. is the this is the flip side of the coin, and we've seen it develop over the years, even in the summer camps, right? Like you, you talked about Parise. I remember, you know, Zach is a guy who was probably on that leading edge of scorers and shooters. Yeah, who he would go to his brother Jordan's summer goalie camps to sort of figure out what the goalies were doing, so he totally. could figure out how to take advantage. Like now, I feel like all the forwards are trying to do that. Like. You're now a coach on that side. How how do you walk both worlds? And are I you? Know. It's not just pre scouts, is it? It's I not know. just like how to score on this goalie, it's right? How to create offense. That, hey, and that's that's the the funny part too, because a lot of guys, you know, before the games, it's where do I shoot on this guy? Where do I, you know, where is he weak? It's like, hey, buddy, you know, these guys are NHL quality goalies, right? If they struggled one game glove side, doesn't mean they're going to struggle the next day glove side. They'll figure it out. They're pretty smart guys. Um, where you can beat goalies consistently is if you can find gaps in the D zone structure, right? And, you know, maybe we could attack something, you know, maybe it's quick, low highs, you know, getting to net in specific ways. Um, so that's kind of where I transitioned my role into. And, uh, you know, Mitch, our, our head coach here, he's, he's great with just kind of letting me roll with what I see and presenting with what I see and going from there. So this is good advice for young goalie yeah. coaches that see this as a path. Yeah. It's not enough to be good with your goalies. Yeah. You need to understand systems and how to break them down. Yeah. Not just break down goalies, but the systems they're playing by. Well, the thing about, the thing about goalies, uh, you know, the old school goalie that, you know, in the black and white days where, you know, it, how it was just athleticism, no structure. Then you get into the 90s and, 
And it's just very, you know, okay, we're starting to get technique and structure. And now look at every goalie. Everybody's so structured. And, you know, maybe we could even, you know, look at the pendulum and maybe bring it back to maybe a little bit more athleticism, right? But anyways, it's so did now, but then apply that to goalie coaches, right? The first goalie coach, you know, whoever that was, hey, you know, I'm here just to talk and I'll shoot at you, right? And then, the, you know, 10 goalie coaches in, it's like, hey, you know, this is what I'm seeing. This is what we should start implementing. Now, if you can just teach a goalie how to, you know, make a save in certain situations, that's really not good enough because there's a hundred other guys that could do it. You have to be able as a goalie coach uh, to be able to be, you know, plug yourself into different situations within the organization, right? If you want to have success and maybe maintain a, you know, a career for a while. Video, a big part of that. Like, do you have to know your way around video editing and stuff like that? Big time. Yeah. I'm lucky. We use Exos. Um, I, I use Steva beforehand, but Exos, it's kind of like the, it's the Cadillac version. I'm sure everybody knows about Exos. Um, I, that's what I'm familiar with, and you have to, yeah, know how to use it for sure. Okay. Um, wanted to ask you a little bit about like now the transition to pro, and you've talked about how the job has changed up here. Um, what's it like? I mean, your what was your first NHL camp like? Because you're there with the guys. Um, you know, especially as a guy who, like you said, like you didn't know this was the path. Yeah. You hadn't been there as a player. And now all of a sudden you're around it. What What's that experience like? It's intimidating. You know, and I think anybody that tells you that they're not intimidated, especially for a guy like me, right? I, I never played at a high level. So, you know, to be on the ice with, you know, goalies like Markstrom, you know, these guys that are big, it, it's intimidating, right? I, I It'd be one thing if I played in the NHL for 10 years. It's like, I'm just, you know, back in the day, right? But for me, it was... uh you know, I imagine myself not playing at that level. And then all of a sudden I'm on the ice and it's, you know, I, I can't remember who the goalies were in Calgary my first year there. Uh, I was uh, what Riddick and uh, I, it, does, it doesn't matter either way. It's, but so you imagine, you know, me without that experience jumping on the ice and being like, David, this is what we're doing. You're going to execute. You know, it just, it wasn't in my, I didn't have that yet. Right. That content kind of confidence. Um, so, and then also being around the players and the coaches, right. Bill Peters was there. He was a like head coach. And, you know, so he's an intimidating guy, right? So just trying to be a fly on the wall and learn. So that was just kind of, you know, my first camp. Now you've got me looking it up to see who the goalies were. Taubes. Oh, Taubes. Yeah, of course. Great guy. I, that's why I didn't remember him because... Because he would have been probably as relaxing to be around as anyone, right? There wouldn't have been anything... Like, he could be intimidating. Like, big, yeah. like what a physical presence he is. Right. such an athlete. Yeah but just probably one of the best people you'll ever meet, eh? Best ever. And that's why Siggy was working with him most of the time. And I was just trying to help move Fox wherever I could. So that was my first camp. And I honestly kind of like a kid in a candy shop for the first time. You're just sitting there like, oh my gosh, that's Johnny Control. That's Kachuk. You know, I'm just sitting there like this is the Saddle Dome. It's huge. So it was, it was uh, paralysis by analysis, right? There was a lot of overwhelming, you know, my senses were going crazy. So how comfortable would you have been going in this year? Like how much more comfortable now? You know, you've a couple of years with Siggy, Barb's is there. Like yeah. how are those relationships flourish? What have you learned from those guys? Oh, so yeah, it, now I, I'm confident. I know what I bring to the table and if they ask, I'm there to help. Um, so uh, I definitely not the intimidated goalie coach I was a couple of years ago. So i uh, got grown up in that sense, but uh uh, from Barb's and Siggy, what I've learned is, uh, well, first of all, what, what makes a great, I don't know what you want to call it, goalie department, you know, having Siggy up top, kind of being the director, uh, and then Barb's uh, man in the wheel up top with the big boys. Um, you know, the, the best part is we all get along really well. We're all kind of moving in the same direction and they're for each other. So it's been a great support system. So I, I couldn't be luckier. Do you have to have a sort of consistent, found, like, do you guys all have to be on the same page on certain things or is there a lot of sort of, 
you know, batting things around and different ideas, almost like, uh, like group think where you're, where you're comparing notes and, and, you know, like disagreements are fine. Like, yeah. Hey, what about this type of thing? I, I think our, the goalie department structure right now is much more, um, what do you think about this? Go with this. Like, Hey, uh, this is what I'm playing with. What do you think? Got it. Right. And, and our, our jobs are pretty busy, right? Like Barb's on the road, his travel, you know, we travel, you know, we bus everywhere. They fly. <laughs> so it's, it's a lot of, we don't have time to collaborate too much, but when we, there is something that pops up, uh, we'll talk about it. And Siggy does a great job of kind of keeping Barb's and I kind of in touch with what's going on. If we need to know anything. Um, but yeah, when some, uh, when things arise, uh, we just kind of chat about it. So when you watch a Jacob Markstrom, like, yeah. and then obviously a, a massive goaltender and yeah. then you look at Dustin Wolf, different size, different frame. Yeah. Are there things that will translate other than the fact they're both might be the two hardest workers I've ever seen? Hey, and that's, that's the name of the game right there. You have to work hard. You have to compete. I mean, when it comes to. I do. It's funny. I have never seen a picture with Markstrom and Wolf standing side by side, because um, that would be funny to see. Uh, you know, because Markstrom, even Vladdy, like Vladdy's six six, they're yeah. both huge, right? Um, but they all work super hard, and I think they're all going to have success just because that compete level, right? Anybody, even if you don't know what hockey is, you watch Markstrom in the net for five seconds, you know he works hard, right? He he's always moving hard, right? No, there's nothing easy about it. Um, and I think all the goalies in our system right now are kind of that way. Do you think that can that become a mindset that just kind of filters through? Like when you have that guy at the top end that that battles like that, that you know, I mean, I was around Jacob here in Vancouver for a couple of years. Like, I, like I think he just genuinely hates to lose. Yeah, like doesn't care how many goals get, just hates to lose. Like, can that be something that sort of trickles down? Do you know what? Um, I think the hardest part about being a goalie coach is if you have to teach that. I, I think if the if you just see it as a goalie and you don't recognize that that's a problem. I think anybody that knows that they're going to play for the Calgary flames or Daryl, if you don't have that, you don't have a chance. Right. So, and so I think that's kind of the organic uh, trickle down, right. That kind of has been happening, right. Cause you have all these guys that work hard, you know, and if it doesn't happen, we kind of ran into that last year with a couple goalies, right. Granted, we're all under the same roof and, taxi squad so they get one shooter for an hour so tough year tough year right but you know new coach daryl sees it hey he's not playing right so that, that's just how you know the, the nature of the business a lot of good lessons here thomas thank you yeah. so much for this i feel like we could keep going and there's probably yeah. a whole bunch more but uh let's save it for a part two one of these days it was great to catch up with you in person and the fact that the ahl is here and then at the next level, we'll see you there down the road soon, too. In the NHL, I look forward to continuing this conversation. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. It was great. Thank you so much. Panda. Now, when I heard that, I fully admit I was thinking that it was something that was taken from Robin Leonard's game. Uh, but I now I get it, and and I can't wait to see exactly like I've got a vision in my mind. I can't wait to see what, what actually happens. Yeah, we've got, and again, we've got, we, we already told you, we did the um, keep away drill that is great for puck handling and teaching goalies how to evade four checkers and make a good first pass and buy your defenseman time. So all you head coaches out there that complain that you want your goalies to be better puck handlers, here's a nice, fun, simple, easy two to three minute warm up drill that your goalies will love, your four checkers will love. 
and you'll help them become better handling the puck. That's live at ingoalmag.com. The Panda is coming um, after the morning skate, their third goalie. They've got Matt Greenfield up here. And if you recognize that name, folks, it's because we've had a drill at Ingoal Mag called the Greenfield by Robbie Tallis. Uh, Matt used to skate in the summers in Florida with Tallis and do a lot of work with Robbie Tallis. He was up at the University of Calgary. That's where he caught on with the Flames. Uh, he was their practice goalie, guys. And Darren, here's hope for you. He was their <laughs> practice goalie, and he made such an impression while at the University of Calgary with his work ethic that they've signed him to an AHL-ECHL contract. He's, played, he's, he's coming off an injury now, so he's here as the number three, but here's a guy who has just worked and worked and worked and now he's up with he can play in the AHL. They believe he can play in the AHL. He's up there now in, in the sort of number three role. But you watch the work ethic, and he's going to be our demo goalie for the Panda. So that uh, butt itch that needs to be scratched, it's actually quite unique to watch the drill and how they utilize it as a way to sort of, you know, a way to not get caught in between for goalies who want to use the overlap but are worried about being exposed on wraps. It's a great sort of three-step transition to protect yourself both on the short side and still get across when you're not, you know, reverse VH is great. You're always inside the net and it's quick to easy, you know, pop across to the other side on a wrap. When you're outside in an overlap, that's where you can feel exposed and this technique sort of helps you protect against it. So, you know, I kind of, something new, right? Something different. I'm with you. When I heard Panda, I thought it was a Robin Laner thing, but no. We will literally show you how the goalie's butt sort of rubs against the post and introduce you to how Jordan Sigalette, the director of goaltending to the, for the Calgary Flames, came up with the name The Panda. That alone, folks, if that's not enough to get everyone subscribing to ingoalmag.com for pro drills, pro reads, pro tips, all the things we bring you that you can't find anywhere else, a reminder, we do have a drill with Spencer Martin. Uh, and Curtis Sanford with the Abbotsford Canucks, and Spencer Martin obviously with some recent success with the Vancouver Canucks, called Double Dumps. So between the Panda butt scratching and Double Dumps, um, you know, uh, Giggly Kid You needs to subscribe to ingoldmag.com for the, just for the giggles. If you think you don't, we don't have something for your seven and eight year old goaltenders, or those of us who are in our forties and fifties who think we're about exactly. seven or eight, we've got all the content at ingoldmag.com. And I give Thomas uh, all the credit in the world because I haven't watched enough pandas just to hang out to know that pandas like to to scratch their butts against the the post. So good, good on him for being worldly. Well, I listen, I, and we got to give credit. He gave credit. I, mean, I don't know if he was trying to duck it or just trying to pass along the credit to the boss, but he said it was uh, Jordan Sigalette. It was Siggy, mm. the director of goaltending, that came up with the name because it looked like a panda scratching its butt against the bamboo post. So um, sometimes, hey, what, what did Dustin Wolf tell us in the <laughs> keep away drill? If you're not having fun, fun. what are you even exactly. doing? Pandas, I picture uh, them just going down the stick rack, you know, two bites off one stick, toss it away, take another stick, couple of bites, toss it away. <laughs> Yeah, you're you're now using a twenty three and a half paddle length because Panda took a chomp out of the twenty six. That, that that's what happened. Old stick, uh, old school stick uh, uh, usage and uh, and care. Uh, get the blowtorch out and the saws, and we'll we'll go back to that. Or just to get a get a panda. Hey, uh, looking forward to uh, next week when we can reflect on uh, on what happened at All Star Weekend. Uh, great stuff uh, with the perceived or, or the token undersized guys but uh between uc and dustin and uh, everybody in between 
Uh, awesome stuff. Uh, so Thomas, Dustin uh, for joining us, Cam for stopping by, talking about uh, stick curves. And remember uh, YouTube uh, to check out the the part two version of that uh, when it talks about uh, where that puck should be on your stick. Uh, thanks to uh, Woody and Hutch as well as uh, we continue on this journey of goaltending on In Goal Radio, the podcast. 